0: You're listening to the English Ministry podcast of Church Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find
1: out more at So, when King Agrippa comes to Caesarea, Festus, dis- Festus discusses Paul with Agrippa, and Agrippa says to Festus he wants him to hear him out. And after hearing him out, Agrippa talks with his advisers and with all those people, and they decide he's not doing anything wrong that's deserving of death or being put in chains. But because Paul, when he was before Festus, appealed to Caesar as a Roman citizen, that was his right, and so Festus has to take Paul all the way to Caesar so that he can make his appeal. Because he's being accused by all these Jewish leaders. They want him to be uh, condemned. They want him put to death. They want something like that. And of course, the Romans are having none of this. This is exactly the same game. They're playing exactly the same game with Paul as they did with Jesus. The name of the game is let's dupe the Romans into doing our dirty work for us and have him put to death. But this time, the Romans are not exactly cooperating, and it's making it harder and harder for the Jews, who want him dead. In fact, they were going to have, they were going to try to ambush them. If you read in the earlier parts of uh, chapters 26 and 25, they were going to ambush Paul on his way there and try to kill him. I mean, they want this man dead, but. He's not having it because he's under Roman incarceration. Felix wanted to do the Jews a favor. Festus wanted to do the Jews a favor. And so they have kept him for over two years in captivity. That's the general thumbnail sketch of where this context um, is, is coming from. Now, with great detail, Luke describes the journey to Rome by sea and of course, this is a very famous passage of a shipwreck along the way. Something which Paul has experienced three times before. You can read about that in Second Corinthians 11. Now, I don't know how much detail you can see here. I guess I guess that came off reasonably well. They're starting down here in Caesarea. And this is the path of the journey that they're going to try to take. And again, this is the plan. But God has other plans for them along the way. So let's read along here. Verse chapter 27, verse 1. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners. Of course, he's not alone. They're going to deliver Paul and some other prisoners To a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. Now, as you know, a centurion is somebody who's in charge of a hundred soldiers. So he's basically got maybe three or four platoons of soldiers under his command. Very responsible position. A lot of firepower with a hundred guys. I once uh, read somebody say there are few things in this world more vicious than a 19-year-old foot soldier. You can imagine, you know, the, this is tough. And Romans were very, very good at conquering people by sticking sharp pieces of metal into them. And they carried those. I should have asked you for your um, your sword out of your office, Peter. I could have flashed it this morning and looked tough. But um, so here they are. They're under this uh, Roman cohort. Julius is in charge. They get on this uh, Adramidian ship, which is a, more of a small coastal type ship. It's not really meant for the open sea. Uh, so, you know, pretty well stays close to the shore. You know, maybe like a like a large fishing boat or something like that. And so they, they put out to sea, and they were accompanied. Paul is not alone here, by the way. He's not on his lonesome. They have Aristarchus and, of course, Luke with him. We got on the boat. We put out to sea. So Luke is with him, too. the next day they put in at Sidon Julius treated Paul with consideration allowed him to go to his friends and receive care so he's been instructed to, to be lenient with Paul so they have some kind of respect for him and so he was able to meet with other Christians and they were able to give him some sort of medical care maybe I don't know what all kind of care they they don't really tell but whatever it was it was very beneficial to Paul And it was evidence of uh, the attitude of the Romans uh, for Paul. So they sailed along and the next day they stopped at Sidon. I'm sorry, from verse 4. From there we put out to sea and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. Okay, now that's the first indication that they're running into a little bit of trouble. They're right on the fringes of it. And when we'd sailed through the sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. But then the centurion found an Alexandrian ship. Now, that's a, a, um, an Egyptian ship. It's a much larger ship. It's designed for the open sea. So they're transferring Paul, all these other prisoners that they've got, and this Roman cohort is going on this much larger vessel. Okay, And later in the chapter, we're going to find out that there are 276 people on this boat or on this ship. This isn't just, you know, three men in a rowboat here. This is a pretty big deal. You've got 100 soldiers. You've got prisoners. You've got cargo. You've got all kinds of things that are loading on this huge Egyptian ship. They were at the seaport of Phoenicia, 22 miles north of Tyre. And Paul was able to receive some cure. And they got on the boat. Now, from Sidon to Myra, they sailed under the shelter of the island of Cyprus because the winds were contrary as we mentioned before. Then they sailed over the sea off Cilicia and Pamphylia. These are regions of Turkey, southeast Turkey. Let me back up for a second to that, that map so you can see at this point they're coming up along this route here this is where they changed into that larger boat they had to go around this way to protect themselves from the winds and then they got on this larger boat and now they're trying to make it for Crete there they transferred to that open ship larger ship let me get back to uh, where I was in my news okay now From Myra, they're going to leave off the uh, what is now southern Turkey. They're going to go to Crete, which is to that island that you saw. They were forced to sail very, very slowly for many days. And then as they headed toward there, they started getting more and more difficult. The winds were bad. They were having increasing amounts of trouble getting there, okay? So the trouble is just sort of slowly building. It's like watching that hurricane in Texas coming on shore. You know, here it comes. It's coming on slowly and it's getting worse and it's getting worse and it's getting worse. Okay, so they arrive at Fairhaven on um, the island of Crete. And Paul is saying to them, uh, verse 10, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be attended with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and of the ship, but also of our lives. Now, this is Paul just speaking on his own here. He's not necessarily speaking at the, um, the prompting of the Holy Spirit, but he's thinking this is only just going to get worse and worse and worse. So we better put up somewhere or we're all going to die. And they were sort of like, well, you know, I don't think so. Uh, Fairhaven, however, was not suitable um, harbor for them to spend the winter there because this is heading into late fall. And they don't want to spend the winter at Fairhaven. It's just not a good place to do it. So they decided to go for Phoenix, which is a city also on the coast of Crete. Now, Paul has just told them, I don't think we should go anywhere. You know, even if it's difficult, we, we should just put up here and deal with it for the winter. And the, the um, captain of the ship, he's like, oh, I don't know. let's see. I don't know. And because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, verse 12, the majority reached a decision just put out to sea from there. If somehow they could reach Phoenix, the harbor pre- facing southwest and northwest, And spend the winter there. Now, Paul was overruled by the guys on the ship, okay? They're on this island in in Fairhaven. And they're thinking, okay, we just need to shoot up the coast a little bit. We just need to rip up there and then that'll be a better harbor for us, right? That's like somebody sitting here in Los Angeles and they say L.A. is a bad place to spend the winter. Let's go to Santa Barbara. And one guy says, if you go to Santa Barbara, we're all going to die well oh, come on you know they're probably like that like you know we're skilled seamen we can get from Los Angeles to Santa Barbara nobody's going to die alright it's going to over- so Paul was overruled ok so what happened then they've got the contrary winds they got difficult winds let's try that again you can get a look at that um, map once again this is where they're at They've made it, whoops, sorry. They've made it from here over to here to Fairhaven. Now, all they want to do is go from here to here. That's it. That's why they're saying, hey, look, you know, we can get from there to there. Right? <laughs> Tell God your plans. Paul again. Paul decided against or or advised them against it. It's very dangerous. The fast, the Day of Atonement, the Scripture tells us, had already happened. Now, if if this was about the year 59, the fast of the Day of Atonement would have been about October 5th. So they've been at sea now for several weeks making this journey. And the, and the weather, of course, winter's coming on. The weather's getting worse and worse and worse, right? Paul thought it would end in disaster. His advice was turned uh, over by the majority, and just let's go on up to Phoenix, into the tempest. Tempest. Okay, so they had favorable winds at some point, and they set sail along the coast of Crete. Okay. Now, here comes the tempest. They tried to get in at Phoenix, and they couldn't. It blew them off the coast. You saw how that, instead of going in up to Phoenix, it blew them away from the island. And it was just simply too tough for them to make it back into that harbor at Phoenix. There's a headwind that's called uh, Eurokilo or Urochilidon, depends on what language you're talking about. This is a sort of wind that is very contrary to shipping in that area. It, it makes it impossible to navigate. You can't navigate into it. You know, we have our our, our winds, the Santa Ana's. We all know what the Santa Ana's bring. They bring hot weather, low humidity and allergies. Well, these these winds here, these will blow them off the island into the open sea and not under very controlled conditions. So they can't head into the wind. They're running under the shelter of an island in um, Florida, about 23 miles south of Crete. They secured the skiff or the dinghy, which is the small boat that uh, you use to get from the big boat onto the shore and back and forth and so forth. A little shuttle because they were probably towing it. And in all this tempest and rain and all this stuff that they're getting, this, the thing was probably filling up with water. And so they had to get the thing onto the big ship and then secure it. And then they used the ropes or the cables that they were using to tow the dinghy to undergird the boat. They, you literally put the ropes underneath the bottom of the boat, you pull them across and you tie it together. It's a way of strengthening the integrity of the structure of the boat so that it can handle um, the more difficult weather better. Now, they were afraid they were going to run aground on a place called the uh, Circus Sands, which is a shoal off the coast of Cyrene. So they struck sail and allowed themselves to be driven by the wind. Now, it's just, again, worse, worse, and worse. I don't have any more adjectives for you. You run out pretty quickly here. It's just slowly getting worse. Now, at this point, they're getting pretty concerned because it says on the third day of this, verse 19, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. You know what that is? You know what the ship's tackle is? That's all that rigging and all that kind of stuff that you use to get cargo on and off of the boat. Okay, they're not doing this by hand or by basket. They've got maybe some kind of crane. They've got some kind of uh, ropes and some kind of other equipment that they use to get cargo on and off the boat. And so they've decided, uh, I don't think we need this anymore because if we keep this on the board, it might, you know, kill us. So they're trying to lighten the load of the boat to so make it more seaworthy so it's not waddling so low in the water. So they throw all this expensive, very expensive stuff overboard and let it sink so that they can uh, hopefully uh, take care of themselves a little better. So they throw it overboard. Many days the tempest blew, clouds obscuring, sun and stars. They're starting to lose all hope that they're even going to survive. They had a long abstention from food. This storm lasted about two weeks. And they had not eaten for a very long time. That's one of the most difficult things to do on a pitching sea is to serve meals. It's virtually impossible. But Paul admonished the crew for not heeding him. He urges them to take courage. Now he's changed his tune from we're all going to die and the ship and the cargo is going to be lost. And now he's changed his tune to I think uh, just the ship and just the cargo is going to be lost, but we're all going to live. But this time, the basis for this was on an angelic vision, verse 23 and 24. For this very night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. But, condition, but, we must run aground on a certain island. So, they've got a goal in mind here. They want to run the ship aground. And God is going to do this in order for Paul to survive so that he can make his appeal to Caesar. Because Paul is making his, as Paul is making his appeals up the chain of command, he is sharing the gospel with increasingly authoritative and influential individuals up the chain. And God is going to make sure he gets all the way up to Caesar. So Paul encouraged them, constant division will prove true, and they have to run aground. So they take some food. And Paul takes the food and thanks God. And they all begin to eat the food. But in the, middle, in the meantime, there's a little bit of skullduggery going on. This is another example of somebody's plans being thwarted because of the larger plan of God. Okay? They couldn't get into Phoenix to spend the winter. So God blows them all the way out into the middle of the Mediterranean or that part of the Adriatic Sea as it was called at the time. So that they cannot get onto landfall. So then Paul gets an angelic vision and says, Okay, we're all gonna live, but we've got to run aground on a specific island. So, what are they doing in the meantime? <laughs> Verse 28. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And a little farther on, they took another sounding. And you know what sounding is? You take this really long rope. You've got a weight on the end of the rope. And they've got knots tied onto the rope. And they lower that rope down so they can feel it hit the bottom. And then they pull the rope up and they count the knots. And that way they know how far down... The bottom of the sea is below them. So first one we find is 20 fathoms, then 15 fathoms. And then fearing, verse 29, that we might run aground somewhere on the rocks, they cast four anchors from the stern and wished for daylight or prayed for daylight. So they've got four anchors out there trying to stop themselves from being dashed against the rocks. And as the sailors were trying to escape from the ship, and had let down the ship's boat into the sea on the pretense of intending to lay out anchors from the bow. Okay, they've cast these anchors off the stern of the ship, and now they take that skiff or that dinghy that they fastened down earlier. They lower the ship. The guys who are running the ship, the sailors, are dropping this back down into the ocean. They're launching it again. They say, oh, "We're gonna, you know, just go up to the front of the boat, and we're gonna drop some anchors up there so that." you know, we'll hold still. No, no, no. The plan was they get in the boat and they were going to split and leave everybody else on the boat. That's what they were trying to do. Now, you can imagine that's sort of like being on an airplane and, uh, uh, you know, somebody opens the door and the pilot and the co-pilot jump out with parachutes. (laughs) Okay, who's going to fly the plane, right? Who's going to sail this ship? You know, you got a bunch of ragtag croakers here. These are not sailors they you know, then they're gonna be in serious trouble. Okay. Paul said to the verse thirty one, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men remain in the ship, you yourselves cannot be saved. Oh, really? Well before Paul was overridden Well they didn't listen to him, now they're starting to listen to him. Because he seems to be about the only sane one on board, I think. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it fall away. So they didn't let them get onto the boat. They just walked over there, cut the ropes to it, and let the let the little boat go. And then the day was about to dawn, and they were, you know, doing this under the cover of night. Paul was encouraged to take all to take some food, and this is when they went ahead and actually took the food. He um, broke the bread. He thanked God in front of all of them. And they all began to eat. They were all encouraged, okay? We need to have this for strength. Because what they're about to go through, they're going to need all the strength they have that they can get. Verse 36. And all of them were encouraged, and they themselves also took food. Okay, oops. Okay. here we go. Paul's got everybody eating. Days about the dawn, they had been fasting for about two weeks necessary for their survival. Paul and Seth bread gave thanks. They all ate, and there were 276 people on board. So there was a big meal. That was a big one. That's like uh, one of our uh, lunches here when we have the entire congregation, both congregations in there. That's probably a pretty good estimate of how many people were on the boat, actually okay now after they ate they threw the wheat into the sea because they've already thrown all of the equipment that they can possibly spare off the boat to lighten the boat now what's the last thing you throw off the boat the food right i mean you want to keep the food around for as long as possible i remember reading about the sinking of the titanic one of the there was a very rich woman. She had a lot of jewelry and a lot of valuables that she had in her suite. And when the boat was sinking, she ran back. When You know, she realized what was going to happen. She, excuse me, she ran back to her suite. And up on top of one of the tables there on the, on the little shelf, there was like three oranges that she had. She totally ignored her jewelry and all her valuables. Grabbed the three oranges and then went back out to get onto one of the lifeboats priorities change very rapidly when you think you're about to die so these guys were keeping the food for as long as they could and then finally to lighten the load the last thing they could get rid of is the food so they began to throw that over the board so now they've gained a little bit of strength and they're able to handle the boat, handle themselves. You've got this Roman cohort here who's still keeping things under control. They managed to keep the crew on board, probably at sword point, and they're going to wreck the boat. Now, they want to, you know, land this thing on a beach. There's a bay, by the way, on the island of Malta called Saint Paul's Bay, which is the traditional um place that says this is where they landed or landed off the coast of they didn't know what the land was, but they saw the bay there with the beach. This happens to be the island of Malta. I believe I have the map again, yes, so now they've made it all the way over here. They're in the storm here's two weeks' worth of travel here. They're being driven along, and after two weeks, they come within sight of Malta. Over here. They're, they're not quite up here to Rome. Rome is up here. And so they're making for Malta because they can see it there. So they cast off everything else they had left the anchors. I mean, when you're letting go of the anchors, you're nearing the end. Let go of the anchors, the rudder ropes, and they left the mainsail and made for shore. But they hit a reef or maybe a sandbar, or a shoal where the two seas met. The bow became stuck. And then the back end of the ship, the stern, started being broken up by the waves, okay? So, we're stuck here. The ship is coming apart. This is it. What are we going to do from here? The ship was locked. The ship broke up. Now, the soldiers had a plan If I recall my history correctly, when you were guarding prisoners and your prisoners escaped, there were very severe penalties, maybe even death for the guards. And so you've got this Roman cohort here and they got a bunch of prisoners and they're afraid, Okay, we're all going to swim for it. All the prisoners are going to escape and they're going to execute all of us soldiers for letting them escape or maybe throw them in prison or whatever it is. Keep in mind, back in this, this day and age, this wasn't like, you, you know, paid a fine on your visa card. Okay. Punishments were severe and they were physical. So whatever they were in for, if they let these prisoners escape, it was not going to be pleasant. So they decided, okay, fine. We have a plan. We're just going to kill them all. And that way none of them can escape, right? Dead people don't escape too well. But the Centurion wanted to save Paul, he wanted to make sure Paul got to Caesar again, this is just God's grace you know from a good soldier who is following his orders to take care of Paul, especially Paul, and get him to Caesar because he has to make it to Caesar because if he doesn't make it to Caesar every eventually everybody's going to know, and if the Centurion survives and Paul doesn't. He's gonna be in big trouble. So he overrides the soldiers, commanding those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest of these boards are parts of the ship, you know, getting to get there. You remember Titanic again with Rose on that doorway or whatever that thing, that floating piece of paneling that she was on, you know, so they're all grabbing something that's floating and trying in for shore. And so they all arrive safely onto the land, in verse 44. They all made it. The boat's gone. The cargo's gone. It's exactly what the angel told Paul has happened. 276 souls make it off the boat onto land. Everything else is lost. And that's all they got is the shirts on their back or whatever they're wearing, right? right? Robes. God's providence is seen in how he used a good soldier to provide for his faithful apostle, using a storm and a shipwreck to demonstrate the value of one's faith in God to bless the lives of many souls. 275 people were there to observe how Paul rose from being a prisoner led on board, probably in chains, to somebody who was able to tell a Roman cohort commander what he ought to do. That's, a, that's quite a transformation, you know. That's like somebody coming out of the county courthouse jail up here and going all the way up to the you know the head sheriff of the county, and the head sheriff of the county is you know, listening to the prisoner going, yeah, you're right. We'll do exactly that. You know, that's quite a that's quite a journey he's made. Not just on the ocean, not just on the sea, but also in the eyes of man that are around him. And that's the hand of God on the Apostle Paul. So now they finally made it over here to Malta. They're on the shore. Now what? Turn my pages here. Paul is on the shore at Malta, and the natives are there. And by the way, interesting word, uh, natives. I don't know what your translation might have. I have a New American Standard. Um, the natives showed us extraordinary kindness. For because of the rain that had sent in, and because of the cold, they kindled a fire and received us all. So there's all these ragtag individuals looking like a bunch of drowned rats coming out of the sea onto the shore. It's raining. It's cold. Well, what are you going to do for them? Well, the first thing you need to do is warm up, right? Hypothermia. I mean, I don't think they knew what it was at the time. Maybe not. But first thing you want is you want to get warm again. You want to get dry again. So they kindled a big fire. And that word natives is interesting. It's uh, literally barbarians. You know what a barbarian is? A barbarian is a non-Greek. And why did they call them barbarians? It's because of the way that they talked. They thought that the, their language and their way of speaking was, unrefined and savage they thought they'd talk like bar 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 that's literally what that means b-a-r-b-a-r-i-a-n-s barbarians unrefined people unintellectual not smart savages okay so here they are on the beach got a fire going Paul wants to Do his part. Goes and picks up a bundle of sticks. Goes to put them on the fire, and gets a little surprised because there was a snake, a viper, in this bundle of sticks that he puts on the fire. The snake comes. You know, come on. We've we've gone. You know, we've been in chains for two years. We have appealed here. We we, we're on our way. You know, to a safe place on on Crete. You blow us off course. Two weeks of fasting, seasickness, terror. We finally crash land. Everybody's safe. Now I'm going to get bit by a snake. Okay, so Paul drops the the bundle and the snake has sunk its fangs into his arm or his hand or whatever he got a hold of. And Paul just sort of shakes the snake off into the fire. And everybody around him is like, uh-huh. Uh Uh-huh. This is karma. This is bad karma. Okay. This man must be a murderer because justice has made sure that he's going to die. Even though the sea couldn't kill him, justice has made sure that the snake is going to do justice and kill him and he's going to die. And so he just sort of sat back and watched him. And watched him. And watched him. Huh. He's not bloating up. He's not falling over dead. Huh? Okay, here comes the next flip-flop. We go from being somebody who they suspect to be a murderer to thinking he's a god. Small g. A god. Because he can shake off this snake bite. (sighs) So the word, of course, spreads across the island about all these people and they bring them food and they bring them you know, probably clothing and whatever else that they need. It was an amazing outpouring of compassion for these people who have been shipwrecked. I remember during um, uh, 9-11 when uh, they grounded all the aircraft um, flying across the United States, which has never been done before or since. There was a small town in Canada, and I think they made a movie out of this, or at least a documentary, a small town in Canada that suddenly had something like 7,000 Americans on the ground with nothing but suitcases. And, you know, you don't just throw up a 7,000-room hotel overnight, right? So they had to take care of 7,000 people instantly. And they put them in, of course, where do where you go? You take them to the schools. You take them to the sports arenas. You you make them as comfortable as you can with the blankets and with cots and maybe blow up, you know, beds and all those kind of things as you can. There's an amazing outpouring of compassion for all those people. This is kind of a similar situation. You know, they're all shipwrecked and people like, oh, well, we've got to help. And so then they their compassion, they come and they they make. um, They make a lot of. They make a lot of friends, I think. I think they made a lot of friends there. And of course, that was the opportunity to spread the gospel on the island of Malta. So again, God's God's providence and all of this. This is just like uh, an example of Jesus' promise to his disciples. Jesus promised that snakes are not going to harm you. He made it to the apostles in Great Commission. And that sign of being bitten by that snake lent a lot of credibility to those barbarians because if any one of them had been bitten by that viper, they would have been dead. And so now we've got this man who survived snakes and he's telling us about this guy Jesus. A lot of credibility there. And that's exactly why God does those miracles in that that, um, place and time, was to give credibility to his messengers. They were given a lot of kindness at the estate of one particular man and he was so kind that God uh, mentions him in his eternal word by name. That doesn't happen too often in the Scriptures unless you happen to be like king or something like that. But this prominent citizen Publius entertained him for three days and Publius's father was laying sick of fever and dysentery and Paul, of course, moved with compassion for his father, went in and healed him. Okay, so he was gone from the snake fight to healing this prominent citizen's father. Many others on the island heard that Paul could heal. They came in and they were healed as well. And of course, that just ratcheted up all this honor and all the provisions that people were willing to part with. You know, that these are fantastic people and we've got to help them. So they spent three months on the island of Malta and then the journey continued. But that's for the next speaker to pick up from that point. I don't know about you, but I absolutely love this story. Just how every time somebody has a plan to do something, it gets thwarted. And God's will is done. And man is not... Man does not plan on it, but he ends up being part of it. I think that's fantastic that our God can weave all of these circumstances together and now what what's going to happen is that all these prisoners are going to go into the onto their prisons or the citizens off the boat are going to go on their way, and there's just another you know gospel gospel grenade going off and the Gospels are going to be flung to more and more places. God is great. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this example of Your greatness, that You are in command of the very winds and the ocean, that You are greater than all things. We thank You that Your will is being done, whether we are cognizant of it, whether we are ignorant of it, whether we can't understand it, or whether even if we do, that You are sovereign over all and that You take care of us all. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Let's all stand as we sing our last our response song. I'm surprised that um, Greg didn't share that. uh, uh, What happened at the end of that story is uh, um, boogie boarding and surfing were invented. Did you guys know that? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. In verse 44 of chapter 27, the rest were to get there on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. So, uh, two chapters, we found the person who invented the uh, uh, abacus. His name was the prophet Agabus. And uh, we now found out who invented boogie boarding and surfing. So, yeah. By the way, I'm, I'm just joking. So, yeah. So, since we're seeing all off today, we're going to sing joyful, joyful, we adore thee. There's uh, great things to adore and, and praise God for, especially with that story and how he's been very faithful with our lives. So, let's sing this together.